Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHKs I'm known, and three films up for review this week. Two are available on streaming, one is available only in theaters, and please don't see it in a theater because COVID, but also maybe because of the movie. Also, I have to say, one of the films was The Princess Switch Switched Again, which is one of these Netflix Christmas movies, and Netflix has built out what I call the NCU, which is the Netflix Cinematic Universe. It's also usually mostly the NCCU, the Netflix Christmas Cinematic Universe, but they do have a couple non-holiday films that reference these other films and these sort of fictional countries they create. And I just find it so absurd that this continues to go on and that people are like, the whole concept of the yearly quickly made holiday film is fascinating. And we will be back with a roundtable episode to discuss this more in depth, but stay tuned for the review as well as the personal history of David Copperfield and The Last Vermeer. First up is the personal history of David Copperfield. And I was really looking forward to this film. It's finally available on streaming for purchase. It's from Armando Iannucci, who is the person who is responsible for Veep and The Thick of It, which is what Veep was based on. I think politically speaking, he is probably one of the savviest and funniest people out there. However, when he does stuff that is not necessarily that political, and I guess maybe David Copperfield is political, it doesn't quite have that bite or that humor that I want. The cast in this is amazing. It is truly an all-star cast. It's Dev Patel as David Copperfield, which I love that move. I think that's fantastic. And this is a film that truly colorblind cast, and I'll talk about them in a minute, but you've got Tilda Swinton, who is a total weirdo, and I love her in everything she does. You've got Hugh Laurie, Peter Capaldi, Ben Wishaw, Gwendolyn Christie. You've got Rosalind Elazar. You've got Benedict Wong. It's just, it was a spectacular cast. And I don't know if maybe it's because I'm just not a Dickens person that I didn't find this particularly compelling or amusing. There were one-off moments in it that I was like, oh, okay, this is a funny moment or this is amusing. I don't know tonally what this film was trying to be. I, I just felt like I was missing something the entire time and I can't put my finger on what. Again, I think part of it is possibly the source material and that I haven't read David Copperfield in a very long time and this did not make me particularly want to read it again. The thing I will say is I totally appreciated the attention to detail in terms of the colorblind casting. I've talked about repeatedly how I feel like more often than not, colorblind refers to black and white actors. In this case, you have someone of Indian descent in the lead and also in this very historically white role. Like, I don't think it gets more white than Dickens. And then the rest of the cast is also filled out. All the extras were of varying shades of skin tone. I, I talk a lot about just because personally I am Asian and I feel like there's a lack of Asians in terms of this quote colorblind casting. And then Benedict Wong rolls up and I was like, oh my God, this film has everything. One of the female leads is black. It's just, I, that made me so happy when watching this film. And that's also why I wish the film as a whole was just a little bit better. I don't feel like it's necessarily aimed at a wider audience. And maybe, maybe I'm just not intelligent enough to have gotten what was going on. I fully acknowledge that that's quite possible. I do think tonally this is a little bit different than Iannucci's other stuff, which is a good thing, right? It's like, okay, he's testing this stuff out. And, and also some of it, it's like, I feel like there was like a discomfort level missing that I'm used to when I watch with him. Like I, I cringe a little bit at a lot of the situations in, you know, Veep or in Death of Stalin, which I'm supposed to, right? But this one didn't have that and, and the sort of almost more earnestness did not quite come as naturally to him. I think if you're a big Dickens fan, this might be very enjoyable for you. I think if you are a broader audience and are not familiar with the source material and don't particularly care for it, this is not going to be the thing that converts you. So I'm only gonna give it 3.3 out of five. And then next up, I have The Last Vermeer, which technically at present is only out in theaters, but I can only assume that at a certain point, it's going to have to make its way to streaming because 
Welcome to Wave 2. It stars Guy Pearce and Clay Spang, and I'm probably butchering that name, and I'm so sorry for it. And it's based on true events that happened during World War II, where a soldier is sent to investigate a Dutch artist who is accused of conspiring with the Nazis and having sold them a Vermeer painting. And Guy Pearce plays said artist, Han von Nigren. And I, mm, this one was a tough one. Conceptually, I like the idea about an investigative thriller centering around art. I, you know, it's, it's kind of cheesy, but I'm like, okay, there's a lot to be done here. But the film gets totally bogged down in all of the sort of empty space and it doesn't treat itself like a mystery, which is what it essentially is. And the moments when it strays away from actually sticking to this sort of crime investigative format and mystery thing, like that, that, that was the strongest part of it. But I think it's trying to do these sort of side stories and show the trauma of World War II. And it does take place right as the war is winding down and you've got this protagonist who is Jewish. So I, I get why they want to go into that territory, but that is where it is not as strong. And then for the second half of the film, it becomes a courtroom drama, which is kind of a little bit absurd. The other thing with the film is I feel like it has this big mystery and it knows how it's going to play out, but it reveals too much of its hand too early on. And I get there's this sense of, okay, you want to give your audience some idea of what's going to happen so that when a resolution happens, they aren't like, what the heck? That came out of nowhere in an unpleasant way. But you can't tell them too much because otherwise it's like, what's the point of going through the charade of everything leading into that? Guy Pierce is playing this sort of caricature of a character, but that sounds like it's actually pretty close to who the person was. He's fine. You know, I think Guy Pierce is a good actor, but this is not the best role he's been in. I, I think anybody, you know, plenty of other people probably could have tackled this role. I think Kleisbang, I'm so saying this wrong. Uh, he's also fine in this. I actually watched him in some Netflix Dracula thing recently, and I was like, why do I know this guy? Where do I know this guy from? Oh, he's Dracula. And he was great in that. I thought that was a very fun little miniseries, but this is a little too self-serious for its own good. Ultimately, I would say, you know, this is not one to see in theaters. Like, do not risk that at all. There's nothing worth seeing in theaters right now because your health is not worth it and the health of our greater community is not worth it. However, it might be okay as sort of a background watch. I don't, it's just, it's, I, it's nothing to write home about, but it's also like the, the way they go about it. The story itself is interesting enough that I'm like, oh, I wish somebody else had done this because it could have been fantastic. But this telling of it is acceptable, I guess, but nobody wants to settle for acceptable. Either way, I'm going to give it 2.9 out of 5. And then switching gears entirely, you know, you've got this World War II art thriller, you've got a, a Dickens adaptation, and then you've got the Princess Switch switched again on Netflix. And I, wow. So I hadn't seen The Princess Switch, which I guess came out in 2018 and starred Vanessa Hudgens and she plays two different roles. And as part of sort of this podcast challenge, I agreed to watch it because we were watching a lot of these terrible holiday movies that are coming out. So I watched that a couple days ago and then I finally watched The Princess Switch switched again. Just terrible. They're so terrible. And, and keeping in mind that yes, these are being evaluated on a different level, I think, than I evaluate a film like The Personal History of David Copperfield, because my expectations for them are nowhere near as high. And that's fine. These are not designed to be in the same sort of tier. The Princess Switch was okay. Vanessa Hudgens does not know how to act without smiling. Every emotion, she just smiles through. It's so bizarre. And then she does this terrible British accent in it that is, it's truly terrible. And then I, I assume based on the success of that one, they said, okay, well, let's make another one. So here we are two years later. And how do we top ourselves? We add a third lookalike. So then you've got Vanessa Hudgens playing three different characters. And at this point, I was like, Okay, I hate this. It's not fun or funny or whimsical. The first one at least had a sense of whimsy and, you know, it centers all around Christmas, which 
I've talked about, you know, I'm not a Christmas person because I'm Jewish and, and find it a little exclusionary in, in terms of this time of year, but I acknowledge that they, they aren't exactly making a bunch of, you know, Hanukkah movies. So fine, whatever, I'll watch these. And, and again, there is some sort of fun to be had in the terrible cheesy ones, but this one, the, the original Princess Switch, I would say, falls into that category. This one is just like, what are you doing here? There's like a crime plot and... All of this stuff, you know, it's one of those movies where everything could be solved in one conversation. I suppose I'll say it could be solved in two conversations in this one just because now we have three times the people in it. I can only assume that fans of the first one are going to watch this one and for the same reasons watch this one and maybe enjoy it. But the thing about The Princess Switch is these are all, all Lifetime, Hallmark, whatever, you know, Netflix original holiday movies. They're almost always a romance. This one doesn't really focus on that. It's more about kind of hijinks and political intrigue of these princesses and these, you know, tiny non-existent European nations that Netflix has decided made up. I'm like, how big does Netflix think Europe is in terms of geography and how many monarchies remain? It is, it's kind of hilarious, but I want to warn people who were fans of the first one off this one because I'm like, I don't think it's gonna be fun for you. But I think if you were a fan of the first one, then you're looking for a different thing from your viewings than generally speaking. Speaking, I am so you know what have at but I personally am only gonna give this one two out of five so that is it for reviews this week thank you so much for joining as I mentioned I will be back with Jackie and Matt as I mentioned I will be back with Jackie and Matt in our next episode and we're going to talk about the princess switch switched again in detail we're also gonna watch Dolly Parton's Christmas on the square because while we've had a complete drought for content this year, somehow we're still managing to get our deluge of holiday films. There's no stopping those. We're also, of course, going to talk about Chapter 12 of The Mandalorian, which, by the way, was directed by Carl Weathers, and a few other things. Hope you can tune in, and if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a rating or a review or even consider subscribing. Thanks again.